Hello friends, welcome to Find the Outside the Podcast. We are excited to have you with us. Tuesday and I today dive in to a conversation around wealth and class uh, uh, and we navigate across our own different perspectives, hopefully to see something of a bigger picture that's useful to you. I know it moved both of our perspectives on the topic live on the recording, so we're excited to share it with you. Um, and it has even uh, helped us think about how we structure the business going forward. That's right, friends. I learned kind of rich people secrets, so stay tuned because I didn't. If you don't have, if you haven't had access to them, we might learn some of them. Tim, heard it. Tim got a little different perspective. No, it's a great conversation where we talked about class as in terms of this particular work. And, you know, sometimes class is hard to get to, but I think we actually get to it on this one. Love it. Take care, friends. Enjoy the listen. Thanks. Man, I'm hungry. Are you hungry? Yeah, I'm really hungry. Oh, my God, I'm so hungry. And the problem is when I get hungry like this, I just want to eat. So I just get indiscriminate, you know. Give me a bag of chips and a Snickers bar. Come on. <laughs> I'm going to eat that Snickers. I love a Snickers. <laughs> I love Mars bar too. When I was a kid, we used to get the mini Mars bars and I used to steal them from the sweet tin. It was on the top shelf and I figured out how to climb on the counter and get up to the sweet tin. And uh-huh. it used to, it was a, it was a big kind of round, ornately decorated tin with a knob on the top, and uh, but it would always often have mini Mars, but mostly would have mini Mars bars in there, and you could have a mini Mars bar after dinner or whatever when I was younger, and uh, and I'd climb up and I'd sneak the mini Mars bars, and uh, the way I would eat them is that I'd eat all the way around the outside of the mini Mars bar. Uh-huh. So I'd eat the chocolate off the edge, and then I'd eat the top bit bit of chocolate, which led just the caramel on the top. Then I'd eat the caramel bit, and then I'd eat the mousse bit and the tiny thin bit of chocolate on the bottom at the end. That's how I ate it. I like this. I, I, yeah. um, I, I like and, what you're doing. Yeah, it's the thing. And then when I moved room, because at one point I moved from the bottom floor to the third floor, at some point I'd come back. I think I, could, I can't... I think it was after I'd gone away to school, actually, that I moved to the third floor because my sister left home and then I moved up to the third floor. And when we moved me up to the third floor, my parents moved my wardrobe and they just found like hundreds of mini Mars bar sweet wrappers stuffed behind my dresser. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah it was great. That's pretty good. I love that my- you had a whole system. Oh, yeah. I think that that's great. I, re- I think my temptation like it is right now when I'm really hungry is just to like munch it and like having a system helped me slow down and really enjoy it I'd often eat my Weetabix in a certain way in the mornings too really I would uh, yeah because I'd, I'd build them into an island in the middle so I'd eat around the Weetabix so they were like an island in the middle and then I would yeah I think it was well, a way I I think I was quite a fast-paced child and I think it was one of the things I did to slow myself down and enjoy things that I really loved a little. So I'd put a bit of a system in. Well, I just love that as a kid you knew to do that, right? Yeah. I mean, I yeah. think that's quite special. I'm also oh. curious if this takes us at all into our class conversation. Yeah. Uh, you know, as a point in my life, not having enough to eat. Like, so, right, and I, obviously it's just different, right? Because, um, you know, I, I, there's just so much. It can't, it's not just class, but, uh, yeah, sometimes we didn't have enough to eat and, um, also gymnastics, but also, uh, being, I think it's gendered as well. Like I get hungry. I just like, well, it's not time to be hungry. I stop mm-hmm. being hungry. You know right. what I mean? And then I'm like, Hey, why am I, why am I grouchy? Why am I lightheaded? Oh, wait. Cause I only, I've only had an I apple today. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, curious. I mean, Tuesday, I can say that during my childhood, I never, not once, went hungry. Yeah. Well, I can't. I mean, I literally can't. I mean, maybe when yeah. we were out on a walk and we were camping in the Scotland. Uh-huh. Do, do you know what I mean? And we had to wait till we got back to the caravan on our holidays to have some food because there was nothing left in the backpack from yeah. my dad or something. But, like, it would have been a circumstance like that. There was... Yeah, there was always food in the house or there was always food at the boarding school that I could act. Even if it was toast and butter, I could get it, you know? Yeah, no, I feel like, um, 
yeah, that just was that was just not my experience. I, you know, I've told you like I that ketchup sandwiches were my favorite thing to eat, but that's because mm. that's what we had. Is you put ketchup on a piece of bread, and that's all we had to eat. And so, for sure, and I, my mom tells a story about me going to a friend's house and. And they were serving hot dogs and they asked how many I wanted. And I was like, oh, my God, you're rich. I can have two hot dogs. You know what I mean? Like it was like, that was, you know what I mean? So, yeah, very, very, very different experience there. Yeah. Hot dogs are delicious. Well, yeah, I still like them, mm-hmm, even though I know too. they're terrible for you. But Do you do you toast your bun for a hot dog or do you just like it like not toasted? Well, now as an adult, I do. Oh, but you as do? A, yeah, as a kid, I never knew that was an option. Right. But, you know, toasting right. it now makes it feel gourmet, not like you're seeing a hot dog. I'm having a, uh, a gourmet hot dog. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Hottest having... doggers. Give it, I'm... Lat- <laughs> give it Latin endings, and then it's like a thing. It goes stretches back to Roman times, <laughs> the hottest doggers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Something caninus or something. Yeah. yeah. I like anyway. it. No, yes. That's right. good. Yeah. yeah. Wow, you're fancy. <laughs> it's all those. It's all those years of uh, having to learn my Latin verbs or being beaten if I didn't. <laughs> That'll teacher, make you the, fancy. Yeah, yeah. The Mr. Gray, he was called, and there was two, there's two main things I remember about Mr. Gray. And so one is that he used to dish out hot legs, which was when you didn't get things right or you misbehaved, he would like smack you, you know, so you had to stand up and then it would be across the back of your thigh, right? Hot, that was called hot legs. And it was almost a, I mean, surviving it and getting it was almost like a, almost became something you were weirdly proud of. Oh yeah, of course that's so fucked up, isn't it? It is, it is. I'm really proud to have been beaten by my teacher. Um, But the other thing that was interesting about him was that he had little mirrors in his glasses (gasps) on the far sides of his glasses. Uh And they were big black glasses. And he had mirrors on the back either side that he could look as he was at the chalkboard, because it was chalkboards in those days, where he could look in the mirror and see what was going on behind him and we never knew it for ages until we figured it out but he would like we were like how did he know how did he know we were doing that you know and then because he would do i mean sometimes he would call our names out or he sometimes he would turn around and he'd throw the chalk and he'd hit the kid who was doing something wrong and we're like how did he know how did he know that that kid had been the waterworth charlie waterworth had done that you know or whatever it might be and it's because he had these little kids somehow like almost like a spy or something. Tim, yeah. there are so many levels of messed up to that story you just told. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't it also kind of cool that your teacher had mirrors on his glasses? I mean, no. there's a little, no. come on. No, I'm not finding coolness. I'm wondering what type of person decides that they want to go into teaching so they can hit children across their thighs and catch them doing bad things. <laughs> to throw chalk at them and exactly. then have them wonder how they knew. Right? Like... Well, it's better than that. The, the, uh, <laughs> the music teacher used to throw the board rubber, which was these wooden things with the felt on the front. Like... Yeah, yeah, like the eraser. Hmm. Okay, well, so, so we're in we're in the conversation about class, I, aren't we? I feel like we're in the conversation. Well, we about are. Class. Like, and we've just begun. We've told, both told a couple of stories, and and so this this conversation happened this morning. We just this morning. Well, actually, you sent me a text over the weekend, and then I was like, "Ooh, that that's really interesting." What was that? You know, <laughs> and uh, and then so I just checked in with you, and we didn't have time to dive into it. In our we have a weekly meeting. We call it the TNT Weekly where we get together and we didn't have time and space to dive in there but I got a bit more of a sense of what it was for you which made me even more intrigued Mm -hmm. and hence us turning up in the pod and so one of the things that happens at the outside is we often have people working on teams who are at different pay levels within the organization they're getting paid different amounts right but we're asking them to collaborate to work in partnership and sometimes to directly co-lead our work but there's different pay levels among those people and uh Uh, And there's a level of uncomfort that's come up in some of our conversations, right? And uh, and so when we were talking about it, kind of my response, you know, was like, okay, yeah, and we're paying the person who's getting more. So, you know, part of what we're paying them to do is have ability to delegate to others, have an ability to distribute the work. And that's part of what we're, part of the reason we would pay our senior people is so they are able to distribute work effectively among others and not just take it all on themselves, you know? 
Um, and then Tuesday, you were like, yeah, yeah, I feel like that is like a total class thing. Um, <laughs> whoa, let's talk about that, Tim. And and uh, and and then when you mentioned it this morning and you began to talk to me about it, I was like, oh, I think it is. Oh, that's great. Let's talk about that more. I want to learn. I want to unpick my own stuff and, mm-hmm. and, and unpick and, mine yeah. and unpick yours a little bit and see what we turn up. So so let's just dive in a little bit. Give me, give, give me yeah. your side of the perspective here so I can learn and then we can learn together. Yeah. So I want to just kind of definitely talk about our um, explicit conversations around the racial makeup of our teams and how people are getting paid because I feel like we've also had that conversation. Yes. So I want to I wanna just say I want to talk about that. This particular um situation I think feels like too big of a word to say right it's, it's more of a conversation that we're in um you know the person who's getting paid more because we're quite transparent around budgets right everyone sees what people are getting paid and what their hours are and she's one of the leads and she's co-leading with someone else who's getting paid significantly less than her and so what she brought to me was <clears throat> this is really hard for me I actually don't feel it, it feels unfair to ask her to be a peer because I know I'm getting paid more. And I mm. automatically got it. And I, um, and in fact, when I showed her the budget for the first time, I'm like, look, I know you're going to look at these numbers and you're going to go, what? Right. So there's, there was some awareness of me of how that would feel, mm. right. To know that I'm leading something with someone who's getting paid about half of what I'm getting paid. Right. So there's just, I just could feel that that would happen. And then when we had that conversation, I was like, yeah, I get it. I get it. And so I just brought it to you and said, hey, we just want to think about this, right? This plays out on our teams. Pe- you know, people are unwilling to delegate because they feel like the pay scale is so lopsided that why would they ask someone who's n- doing the same amount of work to take on more right. when they're getting paid a lot more? So right. then, I, then I said to you, and then you said that delegate thing. And I was like, wait a second. I, I, I don't, I don't actually, I mean, delegation is a skill, but I don't think it's a skill we pay someone a magnitude more for, uh, that felt quite, um, that felt like it comes from a place of, of, uh, place of asking people to do work for you, which is not necessarily the place that I think that myself and this other person come from which is like you get the work done and then you get paid it's like i know i know capitalism is not a merit-based system there's nothing about capitalism that's a merit-based system but the idea is like we're doing the same amount of work we get saved get paid the same amount uh, or we're doing the same exact job we'd get paid the same amount that's why i can i actually can justify why you and i get paid more than other folks in the outside our risk is more we take on different work our skill right but if we're doing the same job i would be upset if you got paid more than me right Right. So so it's just kind of trying to figure that out. So like this idea that we pay people to delegate, I would suggest feels quite ruling class to me. It feels like that's not something delegation as a skill, getting other people to do work or kind of giving other people work doesn't feel like a skill that brings you up a magnitude of fee. So that's, that's kind of where it came from me. And I just felt like I really got what this person was saying to me. And I got it like on a gut level and it felt really tied. I can look at her and I know how we both grew up. And I'm like, yep, we wouldn't do that. Um, yeah. Hmm. I love it. Yeah. And so um, I obviously have thoughts. But before I of go course. in, I want to ask you a question, which is yeah. what do you, how do you understand the logic of the difference in pay that we give people within TO? Like, what's the logic for paying people differently? Like, why do we stratify Mm -hmm. who gets paid what? And why do we not have a standard fee that everyone gets? Like, just Mm -hmm. give me a little bit of the logic of it or that would help me before I dive in and say some things. Yeah, Uh, and I'm very willing to be wrong here. I'm just, yeah, so this is, it's quite interesting to have this on the podcast because it's just like, it was just like a a real, like um, not a, terrible but it was a it was a a reaction that came more from i would say my my heart and gut than my head and so i'm just kind of like i'm thinking it through as we talk right which i just want to be clear doesn't make it any less important actually in my experience makes it more important (laughs) that we talk about it like if it was just an idea or you were throwing around some theory 
I'd actually yeah. be far less interested. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think that I'd kind of felt it, Tim. And then when, when that other person brought it out and I just like got it, I was like, oh, right. Mm, um, love it. So I think people get paid different um, rates at the outside for a couple of reasons. One is um, a level of experience. Mm. Uh, level of responsibility is a huge one. And with responsibility come, and, and, you know, if I think about the two of us, level of risk. Um, oh, yeah, that's great. And then, uh, so, uh, experience, responsibility, risk, expertise mm. to deliver what they're delivering. Yeah. So I actually... You know, like it makes sense to me that I get paid more to design a meeting when other mm. people on our team can also design meetings, mm. right? I have more expertise. I have more experience, right? Mm. Um, so that's kind of like in general what I think, why I think we pay people differently. And then I think there's also this piece that we have people coming on in a bit of a let's try each other out period, which yeah. actually decreases our risk to try people out and it lets us kind of broaden who we're working with. Yeah. And um, yeah. and bring more people on, and maybe take maybe take a little more risks in who we're bringing. But that's that's like the period of trying each other out. I love those five things. We should great. like absolutely capture those. Okay, <laughs> Jen McSween, if you're listening, can you make sure that makes it onto Monday, which is our project management platform? These are excellent. So I'll just read them back because I think they're great. great. So one is the level of experience you've got, the mm -hmm. level of responsibility you're taking on the level of risk you are personally taking the level of and I don't level may not even be the right word so I apologize mm -hmm. for that yeah, expertise yeah. and then the one the third one I have was kind of like loyalty over time or something mm. like that and loyalty again may not be the right word but the sense of like the longer you're with us you know there's actually an increase in the financial value that we're placing in our relationship right mm. there's mm -hmm. a there's a growth there right mm -hmm. so I love that Okay, that's super helpful. Thank you. Great. So, um, uh, so let's go into this delegation thing. Yeah, I think yeah. that's probably the heart of it. I think yeah. is the heart of it, though. I think these other pieces might fly in. So, um, absolutely, I don't think that delegation on its own creates a new order of magnitude in terms of how much you get paid. But for me, if someone's stepping into a senior leadership role, right, within mm -hmm. the outside or anywhere, actually, their ability to delegate, their ability to let go of control in many ways and distribute responsibility to others becomes really important. And I, and, and I actually feel like often people are promoted or like risen up through, lifted up through organizations because of their ability to deliver. Yeah. Oft, yeah sometimes yeah. technically, you know, um, to deliver rather than their ability to lead, right? Mm. And, and like a key piece of leader, and like delegation might be an interesting choice of words because delegation feels like, when you say the word delegation, it's like there's a hierarchy and I'm passing down through the hierarchy, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. but. I could equally use the word delegation and feel like I'm creating the conditions for other people to step into their leadership. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? I mean, like, you know, yep. a delegation of responsibility when it's done by someone who is acting with consciousness on some level is actually about lifting others up, creating mm -hmm. conditions for others to step up, take responsibility and rise in a way that they may not otherwise, you know? Yeah, that's great. So so I don't think as a standalone delegation is... Uh, uh, the 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 key thing that rises you up to a new order of magnitude in terms of how much you get paid. But I do think it is a key element of a suite of mm -hmm. skills that mm -hmm. we look for in the people who are senior leaders at the outside mm -hmm. and that we reward financially, yeah. you know? Yes. And so, so although delegation isn't in that list of five, right, mm -hmm. experience, responsibility, risk, expertise, and then loyalty would be the other one but it's not quite loyalty it's yeah, time yeah. time yeah, yeah. might be what it is yeah you know i mean th those are five pieces but i actually where where would delegation fall into that probably in somewhere in between responsibility and experience you know and because there's i feel like the ability to um 
I feel like we're constantly coaching our senior clients how to let go of control, how to trust others, how to give away the thing that they've been given control of. Mm-hmm. You know, so when I say I think delegation is an essential piece of the work, that's what I'm talking about. And I may be using fundament, I may be using fundamentally classist language to describe mm. it, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I've grown up in fundamentally hierarchical class systems. It doesn't matter whether you look at the tie you got at my school, you know, mm-hmm. that ranked you above and beyond other people to, you, you know, how my family may look at their ancestors or what people have achieved, you know, or not, right? So, so um, there's, there's lots, I'm sure there's lots of blind spots here for me, but that, so that, that's at least my first, it's not actually about getting the work done. Mm-hmm. It's about making sure the work gets done. It's about creating the conditions for the work to get done. And when you're in a senior leader role, it may be, it's actually less about getting the work done and is more about creating the conditions for the work to get done. There you go. That's what I got at the moment. What do you think? Yeah, I like that. I actually really like, and I wonder if we can, it's a really nice reframe. I mean, I can find it even helpful for me in my own leadership, right? Mm. Um so I really like that way of thinking about um, sharing the work or delegation, like creating the conditions. Like as a leader, that's one of your one of your roles, and that's what we're paying you to do is to create the conditions for others to step into their leadership. Mm. So I think that that really that really fits for me. And I also want to say I don't think um, it's good for us to just like be just interrogating things because I don't feel I'm not fundamentally questioning the hierarchy that we have at the outside i'm actually not i feel like um in terms of how we've set people up kind of what their what we're paying them i have two two caveats to that so i'm not however in this particular project we asked them to do the same job I actually did ask them to do the same job. They're written in as the same. They're co-leads of the project, right? That's how we wrote it in. So I understand that our more senior leader is take our more senior person is taking more leadership, but that's not act, part of the reason she's taking more leadership is because she feels badly that we're asking someone to do the same job as her and paying them a lot less, right? Mm-hmm. So there, so uh, so I think we've kind of set up something there. Uh, if if we're going to be if that's if that's part of the reason, you know, we're learning. This is you know, it's it's new work. Like totally. we're learning to figure it out. So I think that so I think that we actually probably shouldn't have set them up as being co leads. And I think Agreed. that's I think that Agreed. that's part of what needs to change. Um, so, or if we had, we should have been clear on the relationship. Yeah. Yeah, right? I mean, because yeah. you can co-lead something, but actually have different relationships hierarchically or roles and responsibilities within that co-leadership. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, right. and we've experimented that even a little bit, you and I, in different projects, yeah, totally. right? Yeah. So I think that that's it. What I also, you know, I think there's two patterns I, or things I want to just kind of talk about here. One is what is our responsibility as people who are committed and want to embody equity in our organization to watch that um, when people, uh, when we have different pay scales, like what is our what is our responsibility? Because that I actually felt that as a real leadership moment from that person. Like, wait mm. a second, this doesn't feel right. You know, we're Absolutely. committed to equity. What does this mean that I'm doing the same job? Is you know, like this is putting me in a really awkward position. Um, and just to say the other person, of course, has agreed to their pay rate. Do you know what I mean? The oh, other yeah. person, the other person hasn't said, Hey, I, don't, I think I should be paid more. However, I think as we're committed to equity, we have to be vigilant around those particular issues. And so, uh, even if it feels okay to the person who's being paid less and they kind of understand it, I think we just have to watch it. You know, it's one of those things that I said, you know, when we were, we were talking about actually investing as COVID came in and, and of course all of us were concerned about money and what we were going to do. And we talked about investing in outsiders 
and even upping that investment, right? And yeah, what we, we could particularly do. Yeah. You know, one of the things I'm aware of is that as we look at the different, we'll just say levels, right? We are a hierarchy as an organization. As we look at the different levels of outsiders, we have to be careful that our lowest paid people are not people of color. Like that mm-hmm. can't be a pattern that we enact. Right. Right. And so we really talked about that. Okay, so what does that mean about who we're bringing in and how much we're paying them? Um, And it just and and I think it it, in this particular situation, the person who is getting paid more, the more senior person is white and the person who's getting paid less is non-white. And so it's just like, oh, we better pay attention to that pattern. That Mm -hmm. might be an instance and it might be an exception. And I might have every single bit of explanation for it but I still need to be awake. We need to be awake to make sure that's not a pattern, uh, that it happens to be an instance. So that's the other thing. I love it. So that I've just got, I've got, I have to decide which question I want to ask right now. And I've got three. And so one, which maybe is that maybe this is a rhetorical question for later. So I can say this one first, because we can put it in the suitcase and come back, which is, um, there's also a question first around how we accelerate people's promotion yeah. through the outside as a deliberate choice to level the racial playing field within our organization yeah. because we want our organization to be reflective of the society we're trying to build, which is a society that serves all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think that is I think that's something we're actively working on. I think it's something that we're talking, I think it's something we're talking to Francis about who's coming in and helping us look at the kind of transitions through the pay scales and things like that. So I think that's one. I got reminded of uh, the very early days of the art of hosting, where at the end of it, there would be a profit pot that was like left over. And we would sit around and we would all decide how to distribute the money Mm. in circle. Mm. Right. And uh, very, really interesting. But I remember, I remember as a young man, you know, wanting the money because I could have asked for the same as the person in that group who was my mentor. I could have, and I probably would have got it if I'd asked for it, Mm -hmm. you know. But I remember deliberately making sure I was paid less than what Tolka mm. was up Tolka in this case or uh, there were others involved too making sure when we did those things I got played less or challenging others who were asking for the same payment level if I didn't actually feel like their experience reflected it you know mm-hmm. but I remember it being this crazy kind of intense yeah conversation right. to be having um you know early to mid twenties, you know, mm-hmm. um, but also part of what you're raising for me is like, oh, what would it be like for someone who came from a very different class background to me to have been in that conversation? <gasps> Absolutely, I would have just like, been what, shut down. Like There's... how? Yeah, like how conscious in an in an in an effort to be conscious and fair mm-hmm. and create the conditions for responsibility. Mm-hmm. in many ways the conditions get created for shutdown you yeah. know and 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 i and i think that leads into my second question so just that little story i'd love to hear your reflection on that and then a question around why did my response around delegation right trigger a reaction that relates to class for both you and the other person you were talking to. Mm-hmm. And I think those, I think the story and that are connected, but I haven't quite had the length of time to piece it together, but like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as far as the circle where we all decided, that sounds like hell to me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love you. <laughs> You're so awesome. <laughs> I mean, oh my gosh. <sighs> I'd have just been like, what are these rich white people doing? Like, what? <laughs> oh, my God. And I just would not have been. I, I don't think I. Early 20s, there's no way I would have been able to function now. Oh, God. Oh, right? dear. Now I would be able to function. And I'd be <laughs> saying things like fairness and equity and, you know, like, and how are we considering these things? But, like, early mm. on, no way. 
And mm. I remember being in conversations and watching you and Chris Corgan negotiate with a client and just going like, I don't, I don't have that, whatever that is that, and I'm going to, and I, I, I was like happy you all were negotiating, right? So it wasn't, it felt like on my behalf with a client, on, it was on behalf of the whole group. I remember thinking, I don't have that. I don't know what that is. I don't know what, where white men learn it. I don't get it. I'm glad it's mm. working to my effect here, but like, I don't know how you just say things like, well, that's not enough. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, so it's just, it's like a, it's a real class thing, right? Like when you, when, you know, I think freelance is quite different from hustle. And so like when you come from low class or lower class and you're hustling, like, sure, sometimes you're ballsy enough to walk away, but like, you know, you can't do that too often. Uh, and so I just think it puts you at a different, a different negotiating and so, and so there's something I have a negotiating solution. negotiating strength negotiating, negotiating position yeah like I think you're just right, in a okay. completely different position and I also think that especially wealth money is so tied up in worth for all of us I know that yeah. that's true it's tied up for worth for all of us but I think um, it's much more likely to be exploited that connection if you don't have enough money yeah. right like you're just much more likely to be like, okay, uh, I think let's just let's just uh, use numbers. Like I think I'm worth, I think I'm worth a thousand dollars an hour, but um, no, I don't think they think so. So I'll take a hundred. Do you know what I mean? Like you're just like you're you're negotiating with yourself around worth and class in a way uh, that I think is uh, one of the things I learned around pay equity, like gendered pay equity, mm. is one of the easiest things you can do to increase gendered pay equity in an organization is not to ask people what they expect to be paid because women will always tell you less and men will always tell you more. And so then from a negotiating standpoint, you end up paying men more simply because they've asked, right? It might not even be the intent to not have pay equity, but women will always ask for at less and men will. So one of like the structural pieces to decreasing pay inequity is don't ask. You just say, this is what this job gets, which is what we do at the outside, right? We actually, we do say, we say like, this is what this role is. Do you want it or not? If you're a man or a woman or whatever race, this is what this role is. So we, we have that in place. But I think part of why that structure needs to be in place is because people based on their different class differences, class differences, gender differences, all of that will actually request, require take uh settle for different amounts and so that feels like something we're kind of working with i said a lot just then i'm not even sure i answered your question oh i yes you didn't just answer it you advanced it um uh so yeah oh yeah um so i love this because you said earlier um we have to stay alert we have to stay alert and the reason we have to stay alert based upon what you just said is twofold, which is, I think, very powerful. And so one is that we have to stay alert, otherwise we unwittingly perpetuate the very society we're trying to transform. Yeah. Just through unconscious bias. Mm-hmm. Right? Just, they're just there. And if we don't stay alert, we, we roll around doing things the way they've always been done, you know? And the other is that... Um, that unconscious bias can lead leads to exploitation, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Of those who are more vulnerable mm-hmm. financially. Yeah, you know. And so I just think that's just really sharp, right? It's like, well, why did my response around delegation result in the feedback from you and our other friend, you know? subcontractor is because of that because we, because we have to stay alert to exploitation mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we have to stay alert to perpetuating the very things we're trying to change walking our talk making sure our action and our behaviors reflect our rhetoric right so i just i love that and then the other thing that i find and i just it feels like part of my life now is that um is that um, I, I rear, I mean, partly through being in relationship and friendship and business with you, I begin to start realizing the amount of comfort I have around wealth. 
Mm. Right? And, and so there's the awareness of it, which is great, and consciousness and all that kind of stuff. Very good. Love it. Love consciousness. Consciousness is good. Yeah, we love it. Rock it. We rock consciousness at the outside. Um, <laughs> but, um, but I think actually part of it is uh, I'm finding it incredibly useful to talk to people who are close friends of mine who come from very different backgrounds about how my family approaches money. You know, and what's interesting is people seem to find it useful or interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so when I talk about that, there's generational wealth going back in my family, more generations than I actually know. But we're mm-hmm. pretty sure there's five or six generations where a significant chunk of wealth was made. Right. And that that has then been perpetuated through a principle of you are always preserving money two generations ahead. Mm. So you're literally preserving money, not to tend to your children, but your children's children. And it's left articulated like that. So the money that goes to the parents is always in trust for the generation that follows them. Mm. Like that is the job that they're given, mm. is to look after the money in trust for their own children. Right? And legally, it's set up that way. And that that's been the way that the family has uh, looked after generational wealth. Like, we're not rolling in it. Like, you know, in a relative level of, I'm sure we're in the 1%, but like, sure. but like, a, but a relative yeah. level of wealth, like my family has to work every single generation. Yeah, There's not enough wealth in my family for us not to work. That is not yeah. the kind of wealth we're talking about. Yeah. But there's a very deliberate intergenerational strategy around the preservation of wealth for it to last indefinitely into the future. We're taking and we're giving away. Like when members of my family got very, very ill through anorexia or mental health issues or physical physical uh, disabilities, there was money there to look after them in mm-hmm. my family, you know? Mm-hmm. And I can thank someone five generations ago for that. Wow. Right? And the generations in between for how they treated that money. Mm-hmm. Right? And so... And I just took that for granted growing up as a kid. Mm. And I didn't even know, I mean, I didn't even know it was a principle in my family till I talked about it. And then mum and dad are like, oh yeah, that's just, you know, that's how you look after money, isn't it? It's what you do. Right? Mm. Um, and so there's something interesting in there that we're not actually generating wealth to spend it. Right. It's not why you generate, you don't generate wealth to spend it. You don't generate wealth to live, what's the word, lasciviously. Mm-hmm. Like you generate wealth to look after your grandchildren. Right. That's why you generate wealth. That's the purpose of it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and then when you live in a community, what I'm beginning to find is that you generate wealth to look after our grandchildren too. That's part of what you do. Mm. Like if you're going to invest some of your inherited wealth, it's actually towards, in my mind, it's towards two generations yeah. ahead. I'm thinking that. Yeah. Anyway, so I don't that's know. Amazing, that's, what, that's what you got me thinking about. And, um, and that may be a useful piece of legacy from my yeah. white privilege background. Yeah. I mean, I think you know? for sure, like it makes me think, well, Tim, I actually have some money questions right now. I think I might want to ask you about them because I don't, yeah. because I've never been in a position um, like that's not my fa- like there's you know what I mean like when people pass like there's hopefully enough money to cover funeral costs yeah, do you know what I mean right. like it's not there's not um, right. that's just not when you talk about wealth in that way it's just like a completely foreign concept that's not anything that's mm-hmm. ever occurred to me there's certainly no conversation in families either side of my family about what you do even even when sometimes there was land right, right. so from the farmer side right. of the family that that still wasn't I don't remember you know certainly even the land my grandparents have wasn't passed on to their children my parents have been preparing for their death and the distribution of wealth and land that comes with it for as long as I've been alive whoa and their a, parents before them it's a like, very a, a, literally yeah. that long you know they distribute wealth early enough in their lives so that um 
so that you know to avoid the 50% inheritance tax in the UK like it's le- they're not there's nothing illegal yeah. about it yeah, but it's yeah. like a, a strategy it's smart it's it, yeah it's a deliberate thing you know and then how that wealth is used you know under what circumstances like I wasn't able to just go get the wealth as a kid yeah there were only circum circumstances under which I could access my family wealth I had to write a proposal I had to write proposals for it and I had to be able to prove that whatever I was doing was going to generate an equal amount of wealth to be able to pay it back mm. even though I was never asked to pay it back the principle was you don't receive family money unless you can unless you can treat it like a loan unless wow. what you're doing can treat it like a loan wow like that's that's the structure through which you had to present it again I just thought that's I didn't understand no. that was remarkable when I was a kid when it's, it's certainly in my early 20s you know I would say yeah. in my, I mean, I now I want to ask some of my, my, my some of my friends with more means, but uh, the friends that I'm super close to, uh, I know that's not the case. I know that's there's nothing about that that I mean, like, it's unheard of. You're just it feels like you're just talking like, wow, that's smart, that's smart, that makes some good sense. Mm. And so it's really interesting. Not I mean, knowing enough about the background of this other outsider that I was that we're referring to. The, the reason I kind of finally, Tim, figured out it was class and not just like a different perception was, was when she said it, I heard it and I looked at her and we both kind of nodded at each other. I'm like, yeah. oh, there's there's some understanding happening here that's okay. like, and that's when I was like, oh, right. This is like, yeah. Anyway, I thought that was quite interesting. So I love, it's so interesting to hear you say that. I love it because I can picture the two of you nodding at each other, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, oh my goodness, when the two of you nod at each other like that, I lean, I I lean in. <laughs> you know, there's something important happening. I mean, you're both so brilliant that you know what I mean. Yeah, so, I love yeah. it. It's good, and I but I I love this conversation both because I mean I think it has some next steps for us probably to do in terms of like that rhetorical question you asked, mm. uh, and or at least some thinking for us to do together. I love how you've received it and I, I love how you've received it and how we've been in this conversation. And I also really appreciate this expansion of what we expect the senior people to do in our organization is to create the conditions for other people to step into their leadership. I don't think that, I, I mean, I, I've known that, but I have not, um, I've not had it quite as, quite as clear as after this conversation. And my goodness, the amount of unconscious bias and tendency towards hierarchy because that is what I know and uh, invisible relationship to wealth that I have that I continue to uncover sure you know it's lots to learn huh there's there's so much to learn and this is like just another are there's so much to learn and this is exactly just another way of um us learning from each other Mm, like because i feel like i've learned a ton in this conversation and and when we talk about we need like we always talk about equity like it's it's not like just needing other perspectives it's like you actually need the lived experience to come together right Mm. like the outside if i were running it would look quite different than if you were running it, but together, yeah. right? Yeah. But together, yeah. especially around this class piece, around the race piece, like it's 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 its own different thing, right? So the out the outside is claiming us; we're not creating it. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, song songs and poems. Songs and poems. All right. Do the song first, right? Yep, we do the song first. So this song was recommended to me by the outrageously efficient uh, dragonborn monk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Outrageously efficient dragonborn monk. Wonderfully hilarious and competent and kind Christina Torres, who works for us. Mm-hmm. And uh, and she knows I'm into music. And then she recommended this band, Anti Ballas, right? And uh, and uh, sent it to me. And uh, there was two, two of the songs she sent to me are just amazing. But the one I would like to share here is called Uprising. Now, there's lots of reasons. I like this because I like this song. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I love it when songs are recommended to me by, by by people, and I love kind of incorporating them into my my seasonal playlists that I have. <laughs> um, but what I especially like is when I send music to my musical mentors and friends that they don't know. Ooh. You know, <laughs> Ooh, yeah. so I got to send this song to Carl and to Gary, two friends of mine I've known since I was eighteen. Carl since I was twelve, and uh, and both of them were like, "Yeah, man, that's a great tune." So, Stina, I just like not only am I grateful for the gift of music to me, I'm grateful for the cred I got when I yeah. sent it to two old mates of mine, and they heard a tune they'd never had, and I absolutely have honoured the source. But my goodness. It's a good feeling to send music to people who've been sending you music their whole lives and give a little back. So, Uprising by Anti Ballas. I hope everybody enjoys it. poem this week and I really hope I really hope I haven't shared it before but it's the one that's up for me right now so um and uh it's up for a couple of reasons one is that we are on the Monday before the U.S. elections and I'm aware uh, in 2020 people might listen to this later even you know a couple of years from now so I'm aware that we're at, we're at a moment right now um and I've actually described, you know, all spring, all summer, like the spring and summer with COVID, the summer with the uprisings, like I can feel this potential for breakthrough in the U.S. Like I can feel like we actually could do something and it feels quite fragile. So the name of this poem is Fragile. Um, so it's up because I'm feeling the fragility of this moment in the U.S. Mm-hmm. But also I picked it because um, – well, Let me tell you why I picked it after I read it, the other reason. Yeah. This is called Fragile by Nick Askew. We are fragile, you and me. Though we act strong, our lives are held together with thoughts of where we might be tomorrow and of disappointed yesterdays. At any moment, we might shatter. We might fall to our knees weighed down by the terror of being so far from our own control. Dare we look up, we'd not know where to go or what to do. We are fragile, you and me. If we were to turn to each other, we might see the whole world on their knees, hurting and seemingly alone. But none of us are. We are fragile together. So I like this one because it feels like in so many places we're divided right now, be it around race or political party, which are often the same <laughs> sometimes around class. It feels like wherever our vantage point is, often we're really scared right and we don't ever look across and see that the person on the other side of that divide is also scared right and so like this fragility we have like we all have it but that last hurting and seemingly alone but none of us are we are fragile together feels to the possibility of this moment to me if we could Mm -hmm. understand that together oh I love it yeah. Thanks, Tuesday. Yeah, it's a good I one. I think, I think for the first time ever in my life, I'm going to stay up and watch the election results as they come in. I know we've got a big gig in the morning on Wednesday. I'm <laughs> we <running>. do. <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> but I feel like it's a zeitgeist moment. I feel like what happens in the states is a li- is going to be felt as a barometer on where we're at mm-hmm. in many parts of the world that I care about and have friends in. Yeah. 
And I don't think it's the end game. I don't think the United no. States vote gets to decide where we go as a species or anything crazy mm-hmm. like that. But I do feel like it's a little zeitgeist barometer, you know, the spirit of the times. And, uh, and uh, so it has my attention. I think that would be great. I'll certainly be up with my son watching, although it would not be my inclination. It's quite yeah, important neither, to him. Normally. Yeah, it's quite important to him, so I'll watch. And I think the other thing is um, there's something about, at least for me, there's something about turning toward what's happening, right? Turning toward it, even though we will likely not know that night, right? Still turning toward, still turning toward. We must bear witness. Yeah. At minimum. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, maybe we'll text through the night, too. Mm-hmm. All right, my friend. Thank you, friends in general, for joining us on the Find the Outside podcast. We love spending time with you. What a gift it is for us to have these conversations and have people listening in and listening with us. So, thanks for joining us in our in the living room of our podcast. That's right. We're so appreciative. And just so you know, if you'd like to drop us a line, you could send us an email at podcast at findtheoutside.com. You can find any of the songs that we played the entire time, right? On Spotify, <laughs> right? And yeah. a couple that Tim threw in, I think, maybe. Yeah, definitely some, some random suggestions <laughs> thrown in just for the beauty of it. <laughs> That's if you go to Spotify, you look up Find the Outside, correct? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And of course, we do this every other Tuesday. You can find us and we hope you subscribe and like and rate and tell your friends and all that good stuff wonderful uh, all, all the stuff's on the uh, outside website findtheoutside.com backslash podcast uh, if you want to find the outside on whatever platform you use to get your podcast just search find the outside and we'll be there um, uh, of course Mark Coffin is doing a marvellous job at the moment of kind of helping us produce the podcast and exploring different ways to shape and form it and put it out there and that Gary Blakemore into this third season has continued to kind of provide an upgrade the upgrade the upgrade upgrade let's do it let's say it we're upgraded upgrade. yes we have we have upgraded the uh, <laughs> the introduction and closing music so thanks Gary for that Thanks, everyone. Take care, friends. Mm -hmm.